This past week on Thursday, we honored and remembered those who have out of profound sense of duty stepped up courageously to protect the freedom of the country we live in. We are thankful to our 19 million veterans for their service. These men and women chose to accept the responsibilities and challenges of serving our country. Along with them, we pray for peace across the country, across the world, and may the grace of our Lord be poured out into the families of the service members. It's Saturday, November 13th, 2021, and today we are discussing the following top stories. Lessons that could be learned from the tragic concert stampede in Houston, Texas. What most millennials are struggling with. What is tromethamine and why you should care. And finally, what can we see from this side of Kyle Rittenhouse trial? Welcome to LifeRing, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what is going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and I am blessed uh, to be joined today by my friend and today's co-host, Vadim. Hi, Vadim. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. Just looking out at, uh, took a look out the window and see, like, we live on kind of a, or no, we're, we're not living here, but. Oh, we live in the area. We Yeah. We record on a property that's uh, that's by wetland, and it's like completely flooded right now. Never seen it like this. It does look like a lake. The planet is healing. Yeah. Well, the downtown river, uh, Skagit River here in Skagit County in Washington State, is also going to be at its highest today around noon on Saturday. So it's crazy. Yeah. We never uh, we never got an update on you. What was the? How's your collarbone? Oh, the collarbone. Yeah, thanks for asking. It's it's doing very well, I think. Um, I opted out of doing surgery and so just healed naturally. Essentially, from the time I fell, where the bones just, you know, looked completely different directions, right? Uh, like it split pretty badly. To this point, there was no medical intervention. Like there's no pain pills. There's no doctor doing anything. All it was really is just x-rays and, and just saying mm, another week, another month. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I, I naturally just healed. Yeah. Thank God. Un- unconventional. Yeah. All right. I did want to say that uh, we have been blessed uh, by so many of you helping us to get the word out there with, you know, in terms of season two. And considering that this is a small project, we've been blessed by the increased interest and response we received. So, we thank you. And uh, if after listening to the show today, you feel like you've got at least something out of it, would you consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts? Or on one of your social media accounts, uh, meaning find us on, you know, your Instagram, Facebook, and write us a review. Also, if you can, please uh, consider posting this link uh, to this specific episode on your story. The thing is, these podcasts are pretty short-lived, and their effective reach is really within the week, while the news are relatable. So we would really appreciate you doing that. All right, now let's dive into what was worth noting this past week. As we were recording the last week's episode, uh, we actually ended up recording live uh, as I encountered the story popped up in my notifications. Here's a clip from last week of what we heard practically six hours from when it happened. In the world Mm. courts. CNN just came in. Houston. Uh, Did you see that or no? uh, At least eight dead and many injured at Astral World. Uh... Festival in Houston, updated 4.55 a.m. Okay. Houston fire chief said, um, 
describe unfolded mass casualty incident triggered when the crowd began to compress towards the front of the stage around 9 to 9.50 p.m. local time, sparked a panic, caused some injuries. Injuries. The cause of deaths is still under determination. Mm -hmm. 17 patients were transported, 11 of whom were in cardiac arrest. Yeah, plenty, was 10 plenty of people getting hurt just from the panic and like the crowd. Wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, that's the story. Oh, okay. Well, now, now it, we had a chance to actually know what it's about. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see a thing unfold uh, over the course of a week because we encounter some of the stories early on, like on Friday, let's say, that will not make it into this discussion maybe or even Saturday for that matter. But then you kind of see it unfold throughout the week and become this national headline. So that's an example of that. Who's Travis Scott, a rapper? That's what I got from the quick search. Just another pop culture artist with dark and lewd themes. Do you know him? Have you heard of him? Um, to be honest, I'm a little bit out of touch with uh, probably the last half decade or so on the hip-hop scene. I don't know personally who he is, but that's not the point. So I'd like to run down quickly through the timeline of what happened on that day. Apparently, people started lining up on Friday at 3 a.m., uh, that was already about a thousand people. So put that into your, you know, picture of what happened on that day. There's people who were awake at that point. Like three a.m. Like three a.m. Like before the sun was up, or yeah, three a.m. Oh, okay, so that's not a typo. Right? No, for sure. Yeah, okay. because at ten a.m. the gates would open, and then at two p.m. already there were reports of people breaking and rushing through security gates. And again, I watched some of these videos. There were already dozens of people trampled. No injuries yet. Well, at least minor injuries, I guess. And uh, at 2 p.m. already, they were running through the gates. Now, the concert was set for evening. So at 8.30 p.m. is when the timer started, this countdown for the next half an hour. And as the timer got closer and closer to the end, well, the people in the crowd would say that you would feel like you are crushed from, you know, from all sides. And, and, and the crowd just got tighter and tighter and tighter to the point where you can't even take a normal breath. People said where your feet were placed is where your feet stayed for the whole night. Like it got really packed. And so you got, you know, you're waiting for the 9 p.m. Apparently there was a plan uh, circulating online to storm, you know, quote unquote, storm the gate. And there's even like a guard that quit that morning considering, you know, what is about to happen that night. He said there wasn't enough training. He was just kind of concerned about safety and everything that's been going on online. And so at 9.01 p.m., uh, Travis Scott goes on stage and, you know, begins the concert. And allegedly from already 12 minutes into the concert, you can hear people in the crowd yelling for help. Because like I told you, you know, half an hour leading to the concert beginning, people already were pushing so badly that some people were concerned for their, for their life, frankly. Um, at least those who, who came out and were interviewed. So at 9, uh, 9 p.m. it started, 9.12 you already hear people screaming, and then 9.30 p.m. Houston Police Department receives the report of people falling injured. And this is also the time when Scott notices, uh, or Travis Scott notices ambulance in the crowd. So he pauses, he's like, put a mi middle finger up in the sky if you're okay. At this point, you got people going up to the camera operators, to security, trying to notify them that there's something going on. Uh, 9.32 p.m., two minutes after Houston police received their call, you see another woman trying to notify the camera operators to stop the show. Yeah, I noticed you have um, 
in your notes here, you mentioned Aiden, Aiden Cruz was one of the people that was trying to notify uh, the camera operator. And so I was, so a friend of mine on Facebook shared a thread. Um, mm -hmm. I guess it was like a Twitter thread where uh, Aiden Cruz was describing this experience of like, he was actually laying down like in this, in a pile of bodies basically. And he like made eye contact with someone that was at the bottom of the heap mm. and, and just like, yeah, if, if people are wanting to look more into this, like I would check out that thread and like he, it's pretty vivid. They were, I mean, he was like, I want to save somebody's child, you know, well, in a sense, like it's somebody's kid, right? Like I, and he was trying to grab their attention and people apparently were just too focused on getting the production going. Because again, this is a concert, right? And there's some sort of level of expectation of, of uh, you know, people pushing around. It was super packed, but also people were there since 3 a.m., so, I mean, yeah, that's really the other part. Like, did they eat well? Were they hydrated? How long did they stand? Did they have a... Because, you know, if you stand for a long period of time, first in line, then in the concert itself, it's not like you have a place to sit. So yeah. you kind of expect that a lot of people would be even like, exhausted at that point. Yeah, or like step out for a minute or anything like that. I don't know. So at 9.38 p.m., a mass casualty event has been declared and Live Nation, which was apparently streaming, they caught the feed 38 minutes into it, right? 30, 38 minutes into the concert. Now, at 9.42 p.m., that would be four minutes after the mass casualty event was declared, he pauses the concert briefly mid-song and asks security to jump in, get in there. Also, around the same time, the crowd starts to chant, stop the show, stop the show, like and you, you could hear it in multiple videos. And at the same time, you see a video of like security talking about how there's like four people out there without a pulse. Again, four minutes later, finally police arrives. So we're 46 minutes into the show. And you would think that at this point, some, you know, something would start to happen. But only at 10.11 is when Travis finishes the concert. A whole 40 minutes later after mass casualty event has been declared. Eight people died as a result. And on Thursday, 22-year-old Barty Shahani died, making it a total of nine people. So now we have people from 14 to the age of 27 who died. Nine people total. And as of... Thursday, two people were still in the hospital in a critical condition, including a nine-year-old boy who's in a medical-induced coma because of the brain injury. Lastly, before we kind of wrap this story up and talk about some of the lessons or our take takeaways, let's take a listen to Travis's Scott apology that he posted following the concert. I just want to send out prayers to the, to the ones that was lost last night. We're actually working right now to identify the families so we can help assist them through this tough time. You know, my fans, my fans, like, my fans really mean the world to me, and I always just really want to leave them with a positive experience. And any time I can make out, you know, anything that's going on, you know, I, you know, I stop the show and, you know, help them get the help they need, you know? Um, I could just never imagine the severity of the situation. We've been working closely. Uh, we've been working closely with everyone to just try to get to the bottom of this. The city of Houston, HPD, fire department. You know, everyone to, you know, help us, help us figure this out. So if you, if you have any information, um, you know, please just contact your local authorities. I don't even know what to say. Like it's, it's I mean, so bad. He's he's like doing all these. He like keeps rubbing his face and stuff, like trying to act all, like hamming up the, 
trying to look remorseful or whatever, but, you know, the chance to do something was in the moment. And I think that people were so caught up with, uh, like, the show must go on. I, I think if that's a deterring factor, like, people just want the show to go on, it's, like, it's really not worth it. And apparently, like, I, I was looking at, you know, some of the similar stories. Adele uh, had a person faint in the concert at some point, so she stopped the show and didn't continue until she knew that they were safe and treated. Uh, Harry Styles had a similar situation. Ariana's concert had a tragedy. She went to visit the fans in the hospital. Now, there was another story in 2000 by Red, or on the concert of Red Hot Chili Peppers. They had an event where they paused right after starting and waited for seven minutes before the crowd settled. And it was uh, mentioned that about 100 people were pulled to safety. They were unconscious, but none died. So it's not like there's no precedent for this. I mean, this, this, this happens quite often in concerts that there's going to be somebody who's going to be pushed, shoved. But that's, again, that's besides the point. If we look at the show itself, this was a celebration of darkness. You know, the themes, the overtones, they were clearly demonic, dark. And I, and I look at it, you know, people mourn the loss of the nine lives. And I say we ought to be just as concerned that, you know, at a time like this, during pandemic, you know, uncertain times, that people are drawn toward demonic rather than seeking God. I mean, think about it. There were thousands of people that night. But if time goes by and they don't come to know God, they will all perish as tragically as the ones who were lost on that night. I think that's the perspective that we Christians have that the world doesn't. Yes, we mourn the loss of the people that are lost in a tragedy. But the bigger tragedy is unfolding all around us. And this concert is one of those examples of like celebration of darkness. And it's a sad, broken pattern that keeps repeating in the history of the fallen humanity. You look at the hypocrisy of, you know, humanity first arrogantly, irreverently proclaims its independence from God, indulge, make fun of its allegiance to darkness, and then when faced with consequences, they turn to prayer. He sells what people buy. Uh, He sells an experience that people want to come and experience. That's why I think he didn't stop the show. He didn't care about creating an experience for people. He just wanted the show to the show to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why he apologized as well. He, he wasn't remorseful. He was just, um, he was responding to backlash. Yeah. And I would just say that, uh, if we only had learned to comment in a way that would truly acknowledge the issues at hand, and I speak about the community at large, there was sadly an overreaction online into this obsessive analysis of symbolism and ritualistic imagery and, you know, spiking what was dubbed as astroworld satanic panic. Now, we as Christians don't deny that there might very well be something more than what meets the eye, right? However, even without digging deep, one ought to recognize that what transpired in Houston on that day was an abhorrent celebration of evil. And I I think what it highlights is that Christians still have a field of work out there. Great Commission did not expire. So let's pray for those people and let's shine into this world of darkness. So if you're 40 years old or younger, but not younger than 26, then according to folks at Pew Research, you fall into the generation of millennials. If you're older than 41, you're Gen X. If you're 25 and younger, then you're Gen Z. So let's talk about millennials. Now, the main takeaway is what do most millennials struggle with today? What is the heavy weighing problem? And of course, you know, we'll look at the positive side of things, what is the opportunity that we as Christians and as leaders have on our hands? So there's another report that came from George Barna uh, with the Cultural Research Center at Arizona University. 
And the report came out in October. It was titled Millennials in America. It's a 62-page read exploring the findings, uh, insights into the generation of growing influence, as they titled it. Now, by this last week, uh, a shorter survey analysis, uh, which was titled Millennials Established Their Need for Purpose and Lifestyle Changes, was released. So let's review some of those findings. Now, who are the millennials? It is worth noting that they looked at a younger slice of millennials, those who are between 19 and 37 years of age right now. So Barna is a bit more inclusive, up to 2002 versus the 1996 of the Pew Research. I always thought of myself as like the tail end of the millennial and kind of almost in between because I'm, I'm late 96. So millennials make up roughly a quarter of the nation's total population uh, and about one third of the adult population in total. So we have 78 million individual millennials, right? That's, that's about a quarter of working Americans. And apparently three out of 10 registered voters are millennials. Now, among other things, millennials are the primary parenting segment, uh, and more than one-third of them are already parents. Speaking of diversity, more than four out of ten are non-white, and more than 40% are foreign-born, so born in another country. Now, a large majority of millennials apparently are challenged by the question of the purpose of their life. We're talking about 75%. This is the key point of this whole segment. And here's a direct quote from, uh, from his report, from George Barner's report. It is very possible that the historically high suicide rate of the generation is related to this striking new statistic with lack of meaning and purpose leading to a directionless, seemingly random life. Now, suicide rates uh, among this group have jumped 5% in 2020. It's the second leading cause of death for millennials. And it's probably not surprising because only 22% of millennials think that life is sacred. And a whole half of millennials think that life is what you make it. There is no absolute value associated with human life. Now, on top of all of this, there is still a deep recognition for change or a need for change. Millennials feel the cost of letting go of biblical values, letting go of traditional values, that they dove into this new era of uh, second millennial hopeful, and, uh, you know, they were like, now we can go after whatever we want, but there is no one, there's, they feel that there is no fulfillment. And we know it, it's because they haven't met God. And so only 5% of millennials feel like their life is great without the need for major change, which means that 95% feel the loss that some major changes need to happen. There's a lot to say here. I, I really like these kind of data reports um, because I like doing analysis and, um, and kind of picking things apart. But I think that every generation has kind of a liberal idealist youth that grows more conservative as they mature. Um, but like if you're talking about this kind of existential crisis that everyone's like collectively having right now, um, I think there's some good that come out that can come out of that because at least you have uh, you have this like kind of awakening where um, we're casting off this these expectations of that you have you don't have a path in life except to merge into this rat race and and then you're chasing after whatever the older generation values until you look around and and realize that you're unhappy you know um, and so I feel like it's there's a lot of potential in a culture that has this mindset because mm -hmm. uh, because it's kind of a timeout from from our cultural consciousness. The problem with that is that you're left with a lot of people who um, 
are looking for something to latch onto because they because there's a trend to oh we're nonconformists so they see the first nonconformist idea and now that's the next trend mm -hmm. and so you're kind of in a sense you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because you have uh, you have this ideal of uh, okay nonconformism is the way to go and so I think in Christianity too you can kind of see that uh, running in parallel because right now like what's what's really trendy you know like the christian hipster i mean other things too like we see a return of marxism and you know we're talking about astral world uh, we see a return of paganism too uh just because uh, like nonconformism is the highest ideal for millennials yeah the way i look at it is is that it's 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 a void it's a, a gigantic void right like when you have an internal collapse of everything that held the previous generations hence why they go to to you know so quickly into another group or try to redefine the values because now you need to well be part of a tribe and this tribe hasn't been even defined yet so we're trying to define it together and the only rule for defining it is let's make sure it's not the same way it was before i mean literally right take any kind of area of life it's like if we've done it like this before we should do it upside down just let's just flip everything upside down and until that void is uh, filled, uh, they're going to be jumping into every area of life and trying to, you know, what do they long for? Well, on the top priority was greater financial ease and comfort, right? Uh, then it was deeper friendships. They want better paying jobs, better physical health, better relationships with their spouse or significant other. They have a desire there to be less discrimination, more inclusion. 15% said they wanted a better relationship with God. Right, because we're talking about Christians and non-Christians. This is a, not a, a study that's just done with Christian folks. Fifteen percent want a better relationship with God, and uh, to top it off, four out of ten said they attended a church service. Same number said they had spent at least an hour reading a Bible, uh, at least for an hour in, in the past month, and the same number also donated money. So about so about forty percent of them are in some way at least throughout the month involved in church. And, and so from this, we can assume that it's Christians as, mu as much as non-Christians are struggling with the same kind of um, questions. So the main point being is 75% of millennials are lacking purpose today, or at least they're actively searching for it and don't feel satisfied. And I think as disheartening as it is, I see an opportunity for the church. This is a huge confirmation of the world's need in Christ. And we have before us a field ripe for harvest. Millennials already opened the door to evangelism by opening up about their inner struggle to reconcile their self-centered life with the eternal pull to the wholesome restoration and to God's purpose. So they're out there searching for the purpose in life. And we as Christian neighbors, co-millennials... We are in a prime place to be witnesses of the eternal purposes of God. We know what the missing piece of the puzzle is, and we can lead them to the Father. And so I pray, Father, that you would bless us to be witnesses in this great time of need. Bless us to be the church that brings these people to the feet of Christ, where they can discover not only the purpose for their life, but find restoration in their relationships and grow in relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
All right, welcome to Lightning Round, where we get to go through some of the stories that uh, are pretty interesting in what's going on around the world, but uh, we don't have the time to break them down as we do the top four. So here we go. In a world of world news, um, well, we have Netherlands as an example of a country that has reached, I believe, 78% vaccination rate. And they are actually talking right now about returning lockdowns. So their president... Yeah, their their prime minister said uh, on Friday that tonight we are bringing a very unpleasant message that is with very unpleasant and far-reaching measures. Uh, Basically, they're going to be shutting down non-essential retailers, closing them, putting in, you know, social distance measures in place and all of that again. Mm. That's after vaccinating, you know, pretty much herd immunity status. Isn't Israel kind of in the same boat? They have... Like they have one of the highest vaccination rates in the world and they're still seeing like skyrocketing yep. cases. Yep. By the way, speaking of Israel, um, they just unveiled a new defensive electronic warfare system. Um, and you've seen the video. We just looked at it. It's pretty oh, yeah. neat. What do you think of that? That's cool. You can, um, I don't really know how to describe it on a technical level, but basically it can send, uh, it can trick enemy aircraft into thinking like there's ghosts armies they're like ghost units that are either surface to air missiles or you know posing a threat to them yep well primarily at the moment it's intended to be a training system for the israeli force right so you have multiple airplanes flying and this system just sits somewhere on top of a mountain and sends out signals as if there are threats on the ground that are detecting or shooting at your plane so now your pilots have the ability to essentially in this virtual created world to first of all maneuver away from the threats or to eliminate the threats or turn on you know blocking signals and all of Mm -hmm. that and then afterwards you could debrief and kind of gather all the data and see what you could have done different because everything is being tracked it's like taking training to the next level like in a virtual world so that's that's world news for you so there's an article from a british publication independent that talks about a Republican congressman from Arizona. Um, he shared a video on his Twitter where um, there's a scene from the Netflix anime Attack on Titan. And so he kind of superimposed uh, his face um, and other and other Republicans, I guess. And mm-hmm. uh, they're like working together to attack the, the monster, um, which has AOC's face on it. Yeah. So. Well, and in the end, he's, he's, uh, he's seen uh, flying towards this bigger huge monster which is joe biden oh my that's (laughs) yeah so it caused it caused a bit of an uproar i guess that stuff is circulating on the internet all the time it's just that that he shared it on his twitter yeah Yeah, so and and i thought that political cartoons you know political caricatures were always kind of like okay Mm -hmm. right we're getting to the point where aoc is like muhammad's level well uh there's there isn't any news with the economy it's really going on the same trajectory uh we are at the highest in terms of inflation for the past 30 years all right and it's so high in fact that irs is actually lifting its tax bracket higher due to the surging inflation so i think in the 2022 or 2023 filing year that's when um the changes will actually happen because they can't make it happen so quick. But they are, imagine, they're, they're responding to that. And so that's I, guess, that's, I guess, one thing that's happening in the economy. We also have, like, I, I heard that statewide gas prices uh, are just two cents below what it was, like, what the record is. So we're really, like, getting up there again. We're, like, not far away from being at, at highest prices for gas. Uh, used cars market is even more bizarre. It's been uh, 50% spike in prices for used car, like in value, can oh, yeah. you imagine? 
Yeah, there's um, yeah, there's people buying cars at MSRP and then and then selling them on the used market for more. Yep, and and all of this, by the way, while a record of 4.4 million Americans, and we talked about it last time, but 4.4 million Americans quit their jobs in September. So, and this is just September. Wait till we get November, October data exactly, and then November. Uh, so yeah, inflation, uh, people losing their jobs, things cost way more than they ever did. That's the news on the economy this week. So for more local news, uh, Seattle Public Schools are going to launch a virtual option for grades 6 through 12. This this was already available for kindergarten through fifth grade, but now they are doing it for older kids because because it seems like a mixture of not being able to meet demand for um, not being able to meet demand for um, accommodating students but also uh, it looks like they're using it as uh, it could be used as something to it could be used as a way to sort of sequester uh, kids that are not willing to receive uh, a certain vaccine that will remain unnamed my question with that would be how is that different from homeschools I mean the fact you, you, you can go get a homeschool program from whatever institution you want right and even get a grant for it or you know get it even for free and they could be just as much watching a another person teach on a screen except now you have you know somebody who you trust maybe more than you trust your public school district and you can't collect state funding for it speaking of parents and kids uh, this was an opinion written by stella morabito on the federalist titled if the left ends parents rights you might need a license to raise your own child and she raises here interesting you know concerns saying that we continue to go down this trajectory of what the state think your kids development should be like right it begins with such things as we need to vaccinate your kids right we want to control that right we need your kids to be taught about sexuality in the way that the state approves of and all of these other issues if we keep going downhill with this trend eventually you just you know the state might require for you to have an approval to parent your kids you know or uh, to have like a licensing and she even argues that a framework for licensing parents already is emerging like a license to have kids in the first place or so 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 here's what she's saying Uh, a quote uh, from her article the propaganda campaign against quote-unquote family privilege is related to critical race theory it argues that children who grew up in intact homes have a quote-unquote unearned privileges that disadvantage other children right shouldn't we be working to try to bring those advantages into everyone's life (laughs) i mean (laughs) other people are yeah According to the National Council on Family Relations, family privilege is a relic of white supremacy and should be dismantled. See, in this context, parental rights are also racist. And then she talks about Planned Parenthood and the Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States uh, as organizations who push hard for these extremist forms of you know, sex education in school and so on. So anyway, something to consider. So she, uh, she ends with this, uh, quote, Licensing of parents might still sound fringy, but it's an old social engineering dream that dies hard. And they're busy building the road to get there. Okay, so here's a, there's a video shared on Como News' website that shows a, uh, shows a gunman uh, in a Tennessee church uh, walking up I guess to the stage and then uh, he's you can't hear anything but he's kind of waving his gun around later on they said that like he was claiming to be Jesus and that churches and schools need to be quote shot up and then you see a pastor kind of sneaking around behind him and then, like mm-hmm. just a flying tackle and this is why the church continued to pray through the whole time mm-hmm. they even continued to play minutes yeah, and like, minutes after they tackled him they and like held hold, him there everyone was holding him down and praying for him yeah. yeah well now he has 15 counts of aggravated assault so mm-hmm. there's that so another story that came out on uh, Wednesday, I believe, maybe Thursday, Wednesday. According to Federalist, six Republican U.S. representatives uh, on Wednesday issued a letter demanding that United States take actions against 
Finland for criminalizing Christianity through its hate crime laws. Now, what happened is they're pressing charges against this Protestant bishop, who's a member of national parliament, because he publicly stated that the Bible teaches, or what the Bible teaches about sex and marriage. Uh, I was reading it that turns out that they were interrogating him for hours uh, the Finnish officials for stating the beliefs that you know Christians have held for thousands of years, and so the U.S. lawmakers they they wrote and said, "quote Free people should not have to violate and recant their deepest convictions to remain part of a free society. True, true religious liberty both protects an individual right, both to hold beliefs that are unpopular with the prevailing cultural winds of the world, but also the right to live out authentically and profess truths that they hold dear without fear of government interference." And so that, that's an interesting turn of events you know i mean i can understand that uh, the government might disagree with those views but to uh, by the way he's facing criminal prosecution and he's going to have a trial in january mm, because they say it's a hate crime yeah it's considered as, I, yeah i think we've we've covered something like that before too where somebody posted on social media like a like a bible quote about um lesbian gay marriages from the same country i think mm-hmm. or one of the scandinavian countries and she was like a member of parliament and so she uh she got canceled for that i think like this this is persecution in earnest i think like from a from an authoritarian government perspective and i think that you know the, the probably there's not going to be there won't be long periods of time when the church is not persecuted if that makes sense because jesus himself uh said we just looked it up to confirm the quote that you will be hated uh because of my name and so it's no surprise that they consider it a hate crime that, that that's what I was trying to say there with that. Yeah. Just keep, wanted to make sure I quote Jesus properly. But keep reading. He says that in the next verse that whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Here's another article from Como News. In Asheville, North Carolina, there was a man arrested uh, after someone behind him in traffic noticed a female passenger in his car making hand gestures that are known on TikTok as a way to uh, to represent domestic violence. And so uh, this girl learned, uh, yeah, and the learned des- some the sign language on TikTok. The gesture was yeah. you hold your palm out, then you bend the thumb inwards, and then you close the palm. That's the, that's the gesture. I didn't know, mm-hmm. but okay. That's kind of good to be aware of that. Yeah, learn something new every day. Right. So let's talk about drugs. Um, well, drugs in a world of uh, innovation, health innovation. So sciencealert.com released an article on November 12th uh, titled, In an Astonishing Feat, a New Drug Reversed Paralysis in Mice with Spinal Cord Injury. So what they're saying is they developed a new drug or form of a drug that uh, helps with the regeneration of cells and reverses the paralysis. Well, in mice at this point, uh, mice who had spinal injury that allowed them to walk again within four weeks of treatment. So if you're in a car accident, accident or a gunshot wound to you know your um something that would paralyze you at least on the mice they had some great results and they're looking forward to um obviously now transporting this into a human space they said the aim of their research is to develop a translatable therapy that could be brought into clinic to prevent individuals from becoming paralyzed so that's 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 a breakthrough in medical science and it's an exciting one that's really cool. I yeah, just like with every drug you take, that like there's a certain risk assessment. Like this is something that could like actually have a monumental effect on your life. Like I think that's really cool. But then again, also like if you've ever read the Flowers for Algernon, mm-hmm. where he I won't spoil it for you, but there 
the fact that you're bringing it up is already spoiling it. Yeah. So the so basically, he the book is written as a diary of a guy that's uh, that's like mentally handicapped, and so mm-hmm. they had a breakthrough in mice that um, caused them to like uh, you know basically develop almost like a human intellectual capacity, and so they mm-hmm. they give it to this guy, and you see in his diary how he how he progresses and mm-hmm. like becomes one of the smartest people in the world, but then that mouse starts to have uh, side effects that are debilitating, and then it like uh, and so like he's watching that. And he knows the he knows like what the ramifications of that are, and he's like the first one to figure it out too. Mm. And so yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy. It just reminded me of that. Considering the kind of difficulty that this problem would pose in one's life, like you said, right? Having an alternative, a lot of times it's like, dude, give me any kind of option, I'll take it. Right? This this is great news. In an article from NPR, Britney Spears. So hashtag Free Britney is no longer is no longer longer just a rallying cry. Now it's a now it's real life. So she, her conservatorship has ended, and so now she's, um, now she's able to live however she wants. Um, she can speak out publicly. The article does say that the conservatorship was split into two parts. One was the conservatorship of Spears' estate, which controlled all her income and financial decision, and conservatorship of Spears' person, which is in charge of her well-being and health. So Jamie Spears, which is what, is that her father? So, yeah, so... He's been suspended as a conservator of her estate in late September, and now I guess it's... Fully in. Yeah, yeah. so the, yeah, the conservatorship, um, uh, there's not going to be any further medical or psychological evaluations of her from this point onward, basically. So it's no longer a conversation. In a world of technology, uh, uh, f- first of all, uh, just quickly mention, you know the Fisher-Price phones, the little toy phones? Mm-hmm. They literally just came out um, with a phone that's like a telephone with a blue... T- like, it's literally a toy, cl- if you click on that link. So like it's, it's an it's, actual colorful dial-up toy. It's the one with like a smiley face and... Uh, and wheels. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually just released, you could buy it in Best Buy. It's an actual phone that you can... So I, I don't know if this news worthy, but there's that. The other story that caught my attention was that Walmart uh, in Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, goes driverless. That's the Axios uh, title for the article about um, what they're testing out. They're basically testing self-driving technology. And the interesting part about it is that they're focusing on uh, like the, what is it called? There's the seven mile route in the town, in the hometown, right? And it's an industry first. And they're focusing on smaller deliveries or shorter distances that have uh, pre-planned routes. So you basically continue to do the same thing over and over again. So it takes it from the main store into the, I guess, local stores, if you will. So it's stuck like on a loop, kind of. Exactly. I mean, it's still making all decisions. And in this case, uh, there was nobody in the driver's seat. That was the moment they were highlighting. There is a person as a passenger observing. They can stop the car at any point. And there was also a trailing vehicle or shadow vehicle going behind. But the idea is that this car is making all the decision as it goes based on traffic. Uh, Just like UPS, I believe, uh, who uh, popularized this common practice, it is favoring the right turns and it does avoid uh, schools, hospitals uh, along the way. So it it is making decisions based on, you know, but it's but it's the shorter routes. And I think that's kind of a unique approach to it because you would uh, then be able to really get the quality up really high because from each run that you're making, you're learning. The system's learning and you're correcting, you know, and so that was kind of interesting. Welcome back. We have a few more stories to dive into. Um, so this one was a bombshell report from a very famous, um, I don't know whether to call him a journalist. He's kind of in a class of his own. Alex Jones, you know of him. Okay, sure. Say what you like about him, but he's been right a lot. You're bound to, to eventually re- reach a point where just think- the sheer amount of stuff you talk about, some of it is bound to happen. Yeah, but in the moment... 
like you don't know what's in the moment. You don't know which one is the one that's going to stick. So I think this is one that that uh, that will. Okay. Um, and that's why we don't uh, exclusively comment on Alex Jones, but. <laughs> His network shared a copy of this uh, FDA briefing document from October 26. So it's already a couple weeks old, but it's just now hitting mainstream coverage um, that a new drug has been added to the mix of ingredients for the Pfizer injection. It's, it's not a new drug on its own. Um, it's, it's been in use, I think, at least since like 2009. Um, so tromethamine is a substance that is meant to correct high acidity in the bloodstream. Um, I'm not really a medical professional, so uh, that's as detailed as I can get on its on its function. So think of it as like a I've heard it called a blood thinner, something you would give to someone who's uh, you know going through cardiac arrest. So this is good news because it will counteract the blood clotting that has been you know we might disagree on the the frequency of this happening, but uh, it's been happening. Is, is this for because um, I saw something about it being just children's vaccine? Do you know if it's children's or all vaccine? Ooh, we'll get into that. Okay. So right now he's just talking about just generally being a new ingredient being. Added. Well, the the FDA briefing did say that this is specifically for um, the introduction of. Okay, now we're vaccinating five to eleven year olds. Um, so here here's the briefing on this particular. It. Okay. Um, yeah. It was in that context. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, blood clotting has been happening uh, as as side effects. So this is to kind of to safeguard against that. Um, but the catch is that this is something that's meant to be administered uh, straight into your bloodstream, hence the blood thinner. Go on drugs.com, you type in tromethamine. And so they were talking about that is like a lot of the side effects that happen happen because it's it leaks out of the bloodstream into the tissue that surrounds it. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's bothersome about this is that we're being mandated to get an ingredient of this nature. Like we ignore the risk that it has for leaving the bloodstream uh, as we're injecting it, not into the bloodstream, but directly into muscle tissue. And so like, mm. I mean, this, the side effects they were talking about were not severe, but it specifically says like, hey, if this gets out of the bloodstream into uh, into the, the tissue surrounding it, like it could cause tissue damage. And here we are like just completely skipping the part where it leaks out and just injecting it straight into the, the tissue. Essential into the tissue. Okay, I see. Yeah. For, for me, I think the greater concern is this, like uh, just this week, again, in the news, uh, G- Germany came out, you know, their advisory committee known as STIKO, STIKO, uh, they cited findings, uh, you know, similar to a study published on November 8th by Francis Epifer, showing that the vaccines using mRNA technology were associated with an increased risk of hospitalization for myocarditis. And so they recommended that, you know, the Germans in this group age, the teens specifically, uh, should only receive like biotech and Pfizer vaccines mm-hmm. as it causes fewer uh, issues and in heart inflammations than AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson. They also recommended pregnant women should only be using Pfizer vaccine and not the other one. And so when you see all these other countries, you know, and this is not the first one. We've we've seen this kind of news pop up where it's like another country is the one actually more concerned about a certain. And, and you're like, well, do you trust your own country that's trying to force vaccinate you and change ingredients along the way and do all these? You know, it's like it's not even the ingredient part. It's just the fact that. There seems to be not enough transparency overall. 
Yeah, I mean, think about how hard it is to keep up with uh, with everything that's happening in the U.S. with um, you know mandates and differences, I guess, in policy. Or you know, Pelosi and Biden were talking about how oh, this will never happen. Like we wouldn't have the nerve of doing that, and then it's also impossible. And then uh, here we are. And so, like, think about how hard it is to keep track of what's happening in other countries. We forget that there's those other countries are acting somewhat independently. So I want to talk about the fact checking. So the, there was news that Sweden was completely stopping doing injections of Moderna. And so there was um, or something like that. And so there was a fact check that came out uh, that was like, no, Sweden's not canceling. Uh, Sweden's not withdrawing the vaccine. They're just postponing it for <laughs> until further notice and it's like well isn't that kind of the same thing and so that's what that's what i wanted to talk about is like fact checkers they will literally grasp at straws just to make the point that someone was wrong about something that's like that's how you know you lost the argument when someone starts when someone starts criticizing you for having a typo or something or like attacks your character and there's one about trimethamine that i wanted to talk about associated press uh came out with a fact check that debunked this claim Claim, Pfizer added trimethamine to its formulation for the COVID-19 vaccine for kids ages 5 to 11. Trimethamine side effects are severe and pose risks to human health. So which part of that claim did they debunk? Here's the missing context. While Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for children under 12 contains trimethamine, the company is also adding the ingredient to its vaccines for adults and teens. Experts say that uh, the clinical trials show the new vaccine formula containing trimethamine is safe. Uh, several other FDA-approved vaccines use trimethamine. So their correction on that, uh, so, so the claim was that, you know, the side effects are severe and they, they pose risk to human health. And they're giving it to 5 to 11-year-olds. And then they come through with the correction. It's like, oh, uh, actually, we're not giving it to 5 to 11-year-olds. We're giving it to everyone. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. you know, including that demographic. So I, I just thought that was funny. I, I saw the other part where, you know, it depends how you look at it, but they were also saying that the ingredient has been added for greater flexibility in storage and is unrelated to potential side effects. So basically, like, uh, the change makes the vaccine more stable at refrigerator temperatures for longer periods of time. Mm. So that there's that part also. But in general, this whole, what the CDC or the government says and what they, you know, um, and who's going to hold them accountable to it, that's where the great concern lies. They can tell us today something and and backtrack on it, you know, six months down the road. We've seen it happen before. And guess what? Um, the newest thing is that CDC is saying that now we're not actually going for the herd immunity. We think, they said, it's actually impossible to reach herd immunity at this point. Not only nationwide, think about globally. Like we've been saying globally, we might be able to get there, right? Like in the world's vaccinating, trying to get there. It's it's essentially an, an impossible goal. Here's, here's what they said themselves. Uh, quote, thinking that we'll be able to achieve some kind of threshold where there will be no more transmissions or infections may not be possible. And they said that we would discourage thinking in terms of a strict goal. Because right now only 58%, uh, 58.5% of all Americans are fully vaccinated. And so they, they want to increase the intake, but they're starting to back down on the whole idea that we need to reach herd immunity because of the nature and just the way that the world is today. It's not the same as it was in 1990, right? Yeah, I feel like this should be pretty obvious to anyone that's been thinking as an individual or thinking critically about you know what we've been going through with, with COVID and stuff and that like the whether or not the person next to you is vaccinated should should be completely irrelevant to you 
they can still transmit it. You're taking the vaccine because it's it would lower your severity of of symptoms, and that's pretty much it. And it's not it doesn't seem to be doing a great job even of that. You know, you have to trying to toe the line between offering advice to anyone, but everyone that's been vaccinated has essentially, if you've entered the system of uh, showing like proof of vaccine, you're basically subscribed to whatever boosters they decide that you need. As we see from this from this report, like they can just add ingredients because they, you know, the FDA or, you know, whatever board is meeting, they just decide like, oh, we're going to change that. I think we're past the point where I think we should be past the point where we just accept it in good faith. But there is a political agenda always behind it, regardless of what they continue to do. Uh, it would have been better if there was no political push behind it. I mean, look at this. Uh, the news this week also is that the Singapore government, Singaporean government, announced that it will stop covering medical bills for people who are unvaccinated by choice after December 8th. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Right? Another one is Australia's chancellor said that Thursday, uh, this Thursday, past Thursday, that a lockdown for the unvaccinated is probably unavoidable. In a New South Wales, Australia, unvaccinated people over the age of 16 are no longer allowed to visit another person's residence except in limited circumstances. And some German states have barred people who are eligible for vaccination but chose not to get it. Now they're barred from indoor venues like restaurants and clubs. That's according to Axios. So it's like, you know, there's this... We called it in, uh, I think, our pilot episode even... Or like yeah. we were talking about a caste system out of people that yeah. are vaccinated and not. That's here it is, folks. And so it's like <laughs> an extra ingredient. Might as well. We would have been fine with it, right? In terms of whoever wants to take the vaccine, you know, we we'd like to make sure that they're doing it safely, you know, and 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 that this is going to be a safe ingredient. But at the same time, nobody's asking us anymore, and I think that's the scarier part. So for our final story today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Rittenhouse trial that's um, pretty much uh, pretty much concluded now. They pretty much just have to make uh, closing arguments this upcoming Monday, and then it'll be ready for the jury to deliberate. So I spent way more time than I would like to admit watching TV coverage of this trial. Uh, you know, like you mentioned last week in the lightning round, it's incredible how well documented everything is with cell phones everywhere and even that surprise drone footage from the FBI that was released showing the showing how, you know, his interaction with, with Joseph Rosenbaum. You've been following it too, right? Is there anything that stood out? Here's the deal. When I looked at this story, I, I, I remember watching the videos from the day, right? Uh, primarily the video where he's like running through the street and then he, you know, is being attacked by a skateboard. He falls down. The guy approaches him. He fires a shot. That video I remember. But apparently earlier in the day, there was this other, the Rosenbaum, the, the guy that he killed, Joseph Rosenbaum, who actually came out that same day out of the hospital um, where he had been admitted after a suicide attempt. So he's with his bag from the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And they have this brief encounter around, let's see, 11.45 p.m. Uh, Rosenbaum chases Rittenhouse into a used car lot as Rittenhouse yells, friendly, friendly, friendly. And then uh, Rosenbaum throws a plastic bag containing toiletries at Rittenhouse. Now, Rittenhouse testified that Rosenbaum grabbed his gun, and then Rittenhouse fires his gun at Rosenbaum, hitting him four times and killing him. This happens at 11.45, and then afterward, he's trying to run away because the mob is starting to chase him, yell and get him. Now, this is according to Global News. Um, And then he shoots Anthony Huber, the guy who's approaching him and skateboard, right? 
And I believe, yeah, yeah and he the, shot him as well. And yeah. then there was the Gage Grosskreutz. So he didn't shoot the guy that was trying to kick him. There was a guy that, like, like kicked him in the face. And then, so he shot but missed. And then he shot the uh, Hubert, which was with the skateboard. I know one of them, yeah. So the first one was... Um, the Huber, that's the one who swung a skateboard at him. And the second one is the one who, who put up a handgun. Yeah, that's and the one got that, was, shot in, that was testifying against him. Yeah, and got shot in the bicep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he walked out towards the police. And so looking at these series of events, it's like, well, first of all, earlier at 10.45 p.m., there's a video that shows uh, Rittenhouse prior to all of this happening, about an hour before. The, one of the officers says, hey, we appreciate you guys. We really do. So there's a police officer saying this to Kyle Rittenhouse walking with, what is it, AR-15 that he was carrying. Mm-hmm. And um, they even gave him a water bottle, I believe, or he was asking for a water bottle. So there was nothing abnormal in this situation. I mean, considering the country that we live in, he's carrying a rifle. This is it. Time of uh, This is a time of riots. And you would expect that if somebody's carrying a gun, you would respect their space, right? And if you are to attempt to agitate them or in, in, engage with them in a violent way, you are likely, um, well, to receive a confrontation that involves a gun. Yes, but at which the same... Means, which is why I'm like, it is a self-defense. It was a, it, there were tension on that night. You know, nobody should have been aggressive towards people with guns. If, if we reverse this and put a police officer in his place, there would be no arguments left. Basically, what I'm seeing is narratives being formed after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so people are talking about, um, you know, Kyle is either being framed as a, a Nazi spawnling <laughs> that's, you know, went cross state lines, quote unquote, even though he lives 20 mm-hmm. minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, looking for trouble, basically, which you can make the argument that like, yeah, if he was physically absent from there, then that night would not have played out exactly the way that it did. But at the same time, you see people, um, there's a certain subset of people, and I believe Joseph Rosenbaum was was in that that specifically tried to agitate the people that to to cause a reaction or to get at least get footage of them like pointing their guns at you know at the at the supposedly harmless uh, you know people mm. false stepping or, or whatever you call it, um, and so there's a there's a temptation there too for for that to take place. the The night played out the way that it did, um, and now we're looking at narratives being formed on the trial about people. So there's narratives about uh, how the people that got shot, like Anthony Huber, he was just, uh, um, you know, he was putting his life on the line to disarm an active shooter that was being going there just as a, an active shooter basically looking to cause trouble and uh, going there like, like one of those people that, uh, you know, has a gun and just can't wait to, you know, can't wait for an excuse to use it. I think even looking at Kyle Rittenhouse as a vigilante could spark a good discussion but if you have a comment then, then. well no i was just going to say that even the prosecution you know uh, when i was watching them talking about the stills um you know the, so they're looking at the video and they they would pause the video just at the time as he's lowering the rifle right and so, at the right like where it's like okay the closest that it's looks like it's pointing at the body but it's like literally a still shot you know and even even kyle because he was um at the test at the stand at that moment you know he's like well yeah it looks like i'm lowering the rifle if you pause it at that moment because they specify which frames they wanted to stop at it looks like i'm pointing at the knees but like 
the prosecutor argues, see, he's pointing at the body, which means he's already ready, you know, before the guy even pulled out a gun. Yeah, I think a lot of those yeah. questions were posed just to get to get Kyle to, like, snap at him, because obviously yeah. that's a dumb question. Like, in the in the shot, uh, he was saying, like, oh, like, Gage wasn't pointing the gun at you in this moment, right? Like, if I was Kyle, I would have been like, yeah, but this is also not the moment where I shot him, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if you played a half second uh, after that, now Gage is pointing the gun at, like, at Kyle. And so mm-hmm. it's... Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that was uh, a lot of those questions were not sincere questions. They were just meant to uh, they were meant to like uh, provoke a reaction, which is the irony of that repeating from the night of the protest to the trial is. uh, Yes. So in in my, uh, you know, kind of looking at this story and it's going to unfold, you know, we're we're yet to see what the decision is. But looking at it, I see three things. Number one, he did regret what he did, even though he, you know, he, he, he had to do it according to him in that moment. But there was uh, considerable, you know, regret in, in his uh, testimony. He broke down. He was shaken by it. And then the other part of it is that he was a minor at the time, a 17-year-old. And one of the charges is a possession of a dangerous weapon by a minor, right? And so there should be a case for, um, for that. And the third part of it is that, unfortunately, this will open the door to even more discussion about gun laws, gun rights, probably with a bend towards banning this in the future because, well, and I wouldn't mind banning guns if that would really solve the problem of violence in this world. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Even if there are grievances you can have about the the legality of Kyle having that gun or even the the fact that he was there and he didn't have to be, um, those are grievances that show up in any time you're analyzing the behavior of uh, someone who wants to be a vigilante. There's always an element of risk that you will do something that's outside of the law, but that people can agree was the right thing to do. Just like there are things that are inside of the law that uh, people will look at and, um, and condemn. And so, I don't know. Do you think there's do you think there's room in our society and justice system for like vigilantes? I mean, like think about Batman, right? Like he, why does he wear a disguise and dis- he seems to go and like stomp on some criminals and then disappears? No, I don't think so. I don't think there is room for vigilantes. And, and again, I'm drawing it from a Christian worldview. We take a look at what happened during the time of judges, right? Where when vigilantes step up, it's usually a time of disorder. Right, but when there is a system, a government in place, um, if people will let their personal ambitious, personal vengeance get in the way, it will only lead to more trouble, and and it's just gonna you know go down the wrong path. So I think that as Christians, we we know that God sanctioned for the government to be responsible for for vengeance, for justice, if you will, for justice to be served. And so if people take it into their own hands situations like this uh well in this case i can't say that he was going against all evil but um you know in this case i think it was actually a personal defense uh case but in a case where people do take up guns and go to the street uh to protect you know the greater good that's troubling and i don't think it should have a place in a society that has government that should take care of that i guess we can leave it open-ended i mean like there's there's a jury that deliberates not only based off of evidence but in a sense, they can choose whatever verdict they want. But I do think that with the fracturing that we are seeing in our justice system and and in society in general, that if we are encouraging vigilante behavior, then that can serve to undermine its integrity even more. 
Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We are so glad you've joined us for another episode of Life Ring. We're excited about this next uh, season. Please consider following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, all you have to do is just type in Life Ring Podcast. In fact, whenever you forget how to find us, go to Google. Life Ring Podcast, that's us. Also consider sharing it with a friend or family member that would benefit from a weekly overview of the current events from a conservative and Christian perspective. And as always, we would like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would be saved. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring, and we will see you next week. See you.